Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Susan L. Thank you. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm Susan. I'm compulsive overeater. Hi, Susan. Uh, am I close enough? Where's the guy? Can you hear me? Okay, great. Um, thank you, Susan, for asking me to come out and uh, share tonight. It's always, um, as my sponsor tells me, it's always a uh, compliment to my relationship with my higher power that someone wants to hear what I have to say in OA, uh, lest I think it's me by myself. So... Um, I got abstinent on October 26, 1986, so that means like today I have 27 years and 363 days of abstinence. Thank you. It's, um, it's something that just astounds me. It astounds me mostly because OA has kept my interest all these years. I am not interested in anything, really, more than, you know, the 23 minutes on a sitcom. Um, and yet, I keep coming back. I, I, I've never gone anywhere. And, and I love it. I just love it. And um, I'm not sure what it is except for the fact that I have been freed from, you know, just... Uh, just a horrible, horrible obsession that started when I was four years old. That's my earliest memory of being obsessed with food and not being able to have it because I was too embarrassed to have it and remembering it. Four years old, I remember it to this day. And um, so by the time I was six, I got made fun of for my size. Uh, For those who care, I came in a size 18 and... um, uh, there are a lot of guys here. I think that's like six or seven sizes from where I am now. Um, and uh, but so I started hating myself. I was six years old, and I actually hated myself. I have a five-year-old son, and I look at him and I think, how is it possible for someone that young to have those such feelings of shame about their body? You know. But it started then, and. Um, I would be lying if I said I was totally free from that, um, but it certainly is is a lot better. But I have to say, I do like standing behind the podium. Um, so uh, when I was about seven, I started stealing money from my parents, gave it to my dealer, Frankie Stetler, and he bought me stuff because he lived near a 7-Eleven. And uh, so he would buy me things, you know, at lunchtime that uh, were not allowed in my house. Anything that had the word hostess on it was fabulous for me. And and he did that. He was my dealer. And and it was okay. I could actually make it from day to day having that fix. And um, it was sugar from the beginning, um, and then combined with regular food. I mean, I just didn't uh, overeat sugar. I pretty much overate, I could overeat anything, really. Um, and uh, if I'm on a diet, 
Like one time I went on the Atkins diet and I started craving celery because you can't have it on the Atkins diet. So, of course, I had to have celery. You know, it's a disease. What is it? It says in the big book. It starts in our mind. And, um, and that's where mine starts. So, really, my life uh, was ruled by a few things. Oh, I should tell you that I was put on my first diet when I was 10. And then from that time on, every day when I'd wake up, my thoughts were, what diet am I going to be on today, you know? Um, and uh, I don't think I was ever fully, um, I ever felt free. I was either dieting or binging. There was no in-between for me at all, and that was, you know, since I was 10. So food kind of ruled my life, and, um, and I was obsessed with it. Uh, I could tell you a lot of psychological reasons why I think I was obsessed with it, but I do know that, you know that part in the big book, where it's the doctor's opinion, and he says, you know, people start drinking because they like how they feel. And um, that certainly was me with eating. I mean, I could take a bite of something and literally go, ah, you know, just cut that edge, you know. Um, But then what happens is I develop this allergy in my body, and I need to have it. Once I feed it, I need to have more. And um, that's really my story. Uh, When I came in and when I first heard that, I have to say that when I first read the big book, I didn't understand a word of it, really, and um, and it made me so uncomfortable. I couldn't understand it, but it made me so uncomfortable, I threw it out that night. I sat there with um, a highlighter, highlighting stuff, and I just thought, I cannot have this around me, anywhere around me, and I threw it out. Um, down a laundry, oh, laundry, a garbage chute. Um, good riddance. But, uh, and it's kind of amazing because, you know, if I read these stories there in the book, it, nobody is talking like they are, you know, Susan Jane from New Jersey, who uh, was obsessed since they were four years old. But what I did relate to were the feelings that people had. And the feelings that come out of being powerless over a substance uh cannot be good for they just don't make me feel any better than I you know than I was I mean you, I lost my self confidence it talks about this I lost my self confidence um, my ego kind of blew up and I did things just to really feed my ego as well as my stomach but I needed my ego fed a lot and um, <laughs> before I came here I went to um see a psychiatrist I had started being bulimic in um, 1970 or 1971 I was living in New York at the time and uh, there was no bulimia then nobody was doing it and then uh, my roommate Nina I think invented it because I came home one day (laughs) I swear and she said we're always talking about diets and everything and you know Glamour magazine you know all, all that stuff oh here's the latest one and um she said, I figured out how I could eat everything I want and not gain weight. Oh, my God. It could, she said anything better to me? 
And so she told me what she did. She ate what she wanted, and then she made herself throw up. And I, I just, I, I just couldn't wait. I just couldn't wait to do that. Um, now there's a reason. I, oh yes, yes, yes. So it started. I started doing this. I, I think in my first year, you know, I, I really didn't remember to do it all the time. So I maybe, you know, binged and purged about three or four times in the year. And um, if I stayed like that. If my disease was not progressive, I wouldn't be here because, honestly, if I was binging and purging four times a year, it's not a problem. That's not making my life unmanageable. I don't think. It didn't stay that way because the disease progresses, and seven years later, I was doing that ten times a day. I was really a prisoner of my home. I, If I went out, my whole thought was, what am I going to get? so that I can, you know, uh, binge and purge when I get home. And um, so I finally, I was reading, you know, some women's magazine, and they had an article about it, about this bizarre food behavior that people were doing, mostly young women. And, um, and they mentioned a guy's name in the article, a doctor who was doing this. He was in Chicago. And I called him. And, you know, and I spoke to him. He actually called me back. And I said, I do this thing, and I live in L.A. I need help. And he gave me the name of a psychiatrist over at UCLA. And um, the psychiatrist, no, wait, there was a reason I was telling you this story. And it wasn't about being bulimic. I can't even remember what I was telling you. Oh, yes, this so this, so this psychiatrist his motto was better living through chemicals. And um, so he just, he just drug me up. And I have to tell you that it was fabulous um, at that time in my life to have like, enough medication on me at all times to, um, to feed, literally feed an army. Um, but so I was doing that and, you know, kind of feeling like a freak, you know, because nobody's doing it. And... Um, I, I had certain rules and rituals behind it and everything. And, um, and so that really ruled my life for a number of years. And I uh, was married at the time. And um, during this time, I got married. And, uh, and so I was doing it and kind of making all those excuses like, oh, I have food poisoning. We ate the exact same food, you know, but I had food poisoning. And um, just really getting my story down on on what I was doing, just to kind of keep it um, a, a, a secret. And it's funny because I I I got together for lunch with my ex husband about five years ago. We uh, con- we connected, and I was very happy to see him because I had amends to make to this guy, and because I didn't know where he was. He was living all over the country, I guess. And um, and so I said to him, okay, before we start, I said, so surely you knew I was bulimic. What? He said, you were? And so I had to go through all that stuff. And, uh, and he was pretty surprised, so I guess I did it really well. I did it really well. And um, I actually did make amends to him. And we just sat in this restaurant downtown and just cried. Uh, it was so moving. Um, it led him off the hook for something that he had blamed himself for for 30 years. And 
and it freed me from something that I let him be on the hook for for 30 years. And, uh, and I think it's uh, amends is just one reason that OA has kept my interest all these years because when I first heard about doing an inventory and reading it to somebody and all that, I was pretty horrified. Um, when I came in, it was, you know, people say it's the last house on the block. I, I, I had no place else to go. I had tried every diet, had gained weight from every diet, even like being a failed bulimic. I was a size 18. And um, and uh, so I, when I came in, everything I heard, I was so defensive. I used to sit in meetings like this. And somebody would, I would hear, oh, I did my inventory this weekend. Oh, I have never done anything wrong. I, I'm not going to do I don't need to do an inventory, you know. And uh, making amends. Well, and I think about my life. Gosh, I'm such an exemplary person. I don't think that I actually owe amends to one other human being. So, uh, that's what I did. I just... I just was terrified, you know, and um, and really so filled. I mean, I, I, I started my disease when I was four. You know, they tell us that our emotional development stops when our disease kicks in. So I, I'm probably the most immature, one of the most immature people who's ever come into OA. But um, I was in a lot of denial about a lot of stuff about my life, a lot of denial. And... Um, about six months in, I was at a meeting. It was a small daytime meeting, and somebody was sharing, and then he said, and he could pick a topic for sharing, and he said, the topic today is parents. Well, my parents supported me totally my whole life. They think I was so great. I was the favorite child. I have nothing to say about my parents. And then... <laughs> As the turn, they were going round robin, and then as my turn came, all of a sudden words came out of my mouth that I could swear I felt were from another person. As this little, kind of like five-watt bulb came on in my head, and uh, as I started facing the truth about things that I I never could face before. And... um, it It was a kind of remarkable thing. It was really... Amazing, and as I've stayed here, I'd like to think I continue to grow. I continue to work with my sponsor. She's been my sponsor for 25 years. Um, I continue to work with her. I continue to do inventories. I'll do like a spot check inventory, or and I do that, and I actually also do a yearly inventory, and um, and I keep doing the thing because. It just makes me feel better. And also, this, so this relationship that I have with this higher power, I think I'll talk about that for a minute because there's another thing that insulted me so much. So I'm reading, so the first step. Uh, okay, I, I can get the first step that I'm powerless over food. I can get that. I, did ne- I never connected that our lives had become unmanageable until 20 years later at all. You know, because I came in, I had a successful career, I had lots of friends, you know, I just woke up every morning filled with so much self-loathing and humiliation over 
what I had done the night before, that um, that I just, uh, another thing I couldn't look at. So I could say, I'm powerless over food. That was a no-brainer. And then step two, when, when uh, most people talk about step two as um, came to believe a power greater than ourselves, can restore us to sanity. The implication, I say, that I'm insane? What? Me? Another insult, you know. Um, and it's amazing because little by little how those defenses have been broken down, and actually mostly through writing for me. Uh, the, the tool of writing has just kind of, it's like sometimes I feel like my own shrink or something as, you know, I'm, I'm writing about how uh, insanity showed up in my life, in my disease, um, and what sanity, what I think sanity would look like in my disease, which is, if you've never written on that question, I really encourage you to do it. It's just, it's just a wonderful, wonderful uh, thing to kind of outline your abstinence and your program and your life and um, so uh, I always have people sponsees write that and um, and it's just really it's really a great thing so uh, when I came in I knew because I'm you know I'm on this planet for a long time I knew about the serenity prayer and I knew the first word of the serenity prayer was God another thing I was insulted about I did not believe in God. I didn't want to believe in God. I didn't have any use for God. Um, And I was one of those people who read in how it works when they talk about this is a suggested program, here are the suggested steps. I read it as these are steps or a suggestion. Take what you like and leave the rest. That's how I did that. So I... um, Every step that had the word God in it or a capital H, I said, I don't need to work that step because it's about God. It left me with two steps. So I had a two-step program of recovery. Uh, The first step, which I was, you know, admitted I was powerless over food, happy to tell anybody about that. And the 12th step that, um, although it just, that spiritual awakening, I don't, I don't think, I didn't see it then because it wasn't capitalized. So, um, so I, um, I told people I was a compulsive overeater. I thought that was carrying the message. I wasn't abstinent, but I thought it was carrying the message. And um, I went to a lot of meetings in, in my first year and a half. Um, after my first meeting, somebody said to me, Will I see you tomorrow? This is at the log cabin in West Hollywood. I'm sure most of you know that place. And they had a meeting every day during the day, every meeting during Monday through Friday. They had meetings. I wasn't working at the time. So um, I thought, tomorrow? I just am here right now. Why would I come back tomorrow? But you know what? Being a people pleaser came in handy in the beginning for me. I didn't want to disappoint her. So I came back the next day and just kind of kept coming back. You know, and not getting it, really, not getting it at all. Um, there was this old timer, he would sit in the rooms and he would hold up the big book and he said, Any problem that you have in your life, the answer is in here. 
And I, I just thought he was kind of crazy. Like, uh, is the answer to world peace in the big book? You know, is the answer to world hunger in the big book? But um, I certainly have come to believe that if everybody lived a 12-step life, I have my own prejudices because I think it's just the greatest way to live. Um, but in those days, I just came. I, ha- I had really had no place else to go, and I came and I listened. And um, and I had a sponsor. I got a, a, a sponsor pretty quickly. I couldn't find a sponsor. The first person I asked to sponsor me laughed at me. And um, I used that as an excuse to go home and binge. And actually quit away and oh yeah so I was telling a friend of mine who wasn't in the program I said well she asked how OA was going I said you know I left and she said and she wants to know why and I told her I asked this person to sponsor me she stood up as a sponsor anyway she told me I was wrong to ask her I said and she laughed in my face and she said to me Susan you have never stuck to a commitment in your whole life. And um, I got so angry with her that I came back just to spite her. And um, I probably owe her a big thanks, but we're not speaking today. <laughs> Our paths have really, you know, diverged. Anyway, um, so, uh, so I listened. I took notes. I actually still take notes at meetings. When I hear something that I love, and I have these little notebooks at home filled with all these things that I've heard for the past 28 years at meetings. And um, what I noticed is that anybody who had what I wanted, and what I wanted at that time was, I just wanted to feel okay about myself. That serenity that people had, that's all. I mean, I think that it, uh, it, uh, I wanted that more than I wanted to uh, eat by that time. I just wanted to feel okay. And um, so I started really paying attention to people who talked about that and really had serenity. And what all these people had in common, besides being powerless over food, was that they had a very strong relationship with a higher power. And um, I really couldn't deny that anymore. (coughs) If I wanted what they had... I had to do what they did, and um, and so I I guess it was a couple of months in, and um, I really couldn't uh, get more than 30 days of abstinence. I related to that. I think I had four or five 30-day chips, um, and um, I started pretending I believed in God. You know, they say "act as if." What an incredible phrase! Act as if, you know, contrary action. Act the way you absolutely don't want to act. It's amazing. It's amazing what happens when that happens. So I would just lie in my bed and, you know, pray to my ceiling, daring God to burn a bush in my bedroom. You know, I really, I was making demands on God. That's what I was doing, you know, not realizing exactly what the deal was about what we were supposed to be doing, aligning our will with God's will for us. So, um, one day, I, oh, and on Sundays, I I was always reading program literature. I was either reading the big book or I was either reading the 12 and 12. There was no OA literature at the time. And um, 
I just, that's what I did. I went to Serenity Sunday, and then I came home, and I read that stuff, and I read it and read it, and the big book still didn't make any sense to me, but I kept reading it. And, um, and I went to put the book down on my night table, and I just, I heard a voice in, from inside me that said, you are not alone, and you never have been. And I thought, oh, my God, I, that must be my higher power. What else could it be? And I was still, I still had so much invested in really not wanting to believe in a higher power. I was embarrassed to tell this story. And I did not tell that, this story for years because I thought that believing in a higher power would make me weak. And... Um, and what I see is, and then when I was reading, uh, I think it's in the 12 and 12, step two, I think, yes, or step three, I forget. But, yes, step two, it talks about electricity and how free we get from putting on the lights, you know? Oh, I can read. I can read late into the night, you know? I can cook. I can, there's so much I can do when I don't have to rub two sticks together. And um, it kind of made sense to me. And I thought, oh, okay, I can do this. And I, I have it written in my 12 and 12. Okay, I can do this. Um, and so I started working on my God muscle and really developing my relationship with a higher power. And um, I... Still didn't get abstinent. I wasn't to get abstinent for a couple of months, but you know, I had books at my uh, on my night table and woke up, saw them first thing in the morning, read a couple of them, you know, meditation books, and um, just kind of when something nice happened in my life, I reminded myself to say thank you to my higher power, um, and um, and just kind of getting that muscle going. And like I said, I had uh, a bunch of 30-day chips, and then, um, but I was still working the steps with my sponsor. And uh, so now I'm on step three. So this is a few months later. I came in in May, uh, Memorial Day weekend. So now it's October. Um, and if you paid attention to the beginning, you know what's going to happen in October. So. Um, <laughs> You were paying attention. So, uh, so I'm working on the third step. And I'm looking for some sort of exercise to do, some, something physical that I could do to turn my will over to my higher power. I want to do something because it's not making sense to me up here just to sit here and go like, okay, my will is turned over, you know, just like that. Okay. I really wanted to do something, and I asked people for suggestions. Nobody had one. Um, so, you know, we, we get God in the strangest, strangest places. I uh, was reading the newspaper one morning, and um, I was reading Peanuts. I never read Peanuts. I just didn't. Um, but I read it this particular morning. And Lucy's on a swing, and Charlie Brown is reading a book. And he's talking to her, and he said, 
You know, it says here that it takes 365 days for the earth to revolve around the sun. And she says, really? He said, yep. Are you sure about that? says it right here. And in the last frame, Lucy says, well, that's funny because I thought the world revolved around me. (laughs) And I was so startled with that. And my first thought was, Lucy too? (laughs) You know? And I just kind of pictured a globe spinning on my head. And it was those uh, grammar school globes, you know, the tin ones. And uh, they're turquoise. The, all the oceans are turquoise. And I just kind of gave it to my higher power. And I got it at that moment. I mean, I, I, I got what it is to turn my will and my life over my higher power. Then that weekend, I was taking a walk with a friend of mine who I had worked with. Actually, he wasn't a friend. He didn't even like me. But he was in AA and he was doing service because I called him and I asked him if he would. uh, He's in the Pacific group, so you know what that meant. You take a walk with me? Oh, sure, you know. But um, so we're taking a walk. And he said, Susan, how long have you been going to OA? And I said, five months now. And he said, you're still fat. And I know your sponsor, and she's fat. And uh, I said, well, she, okay, thanks. She um, is probably a better coach than she is like an athlete, you know, the Olympic athletes, they all have coaches who cannot be an Olympic athlete, but they know how to coach. I'm defending my fat sponsor today. And uh, and and he's he didn't really say much after that, but, um, and the walk was over pretty much after that, and I was walking home, and it really had such a profound effect on me, obviously, because um, I got abstinent. Then, that afternoon, it was a Sunday. I did not have one more binge. You know, waiting till Monday, I got abstinent. And, um, you know, I'm just so grateful that I was able to hear that stuff because what he was saying was the truth. It wasn't untrue. And um, it certainly wasn't something I liked hearing, but it was the truth. And uh, sometimes the truth does set us free. A lot of times it does. So I got abstinent. And um, so what do I want to tell you? That since then... Um, I haven't had, uh, I haven't had sugar in almost 28 years. 28 years sounds like a lot to me. It's the first number that has sounded like, oh, I've got some time, you know. Um, and that feels really, really great. I'm so grateful to OA. And I'm so grateful to all of you to, for keep, keeping coming back. Um, and uh, and if you're new and you don't relate to my story, just keep coming because you will relate to somebody's story. My first meeting, the person who was the leader of the meeting had 10 pounds to lose and lost them pretty quickly. And yet I related to her insides. You know, I related to that. Um, so what do I do since I got abstinent? 
Um, I will say the obsession for sugar has been lifted a long time ago. Um, and then I actually, my abstinence had not changed. Um, I don't binge. I don't purge. I don't compulsively eat, which I actually put under the binging category. Um, and I actually, when I had like 21 years, I added something to my abstinence because um, it wasn't something that I ate so much as it took up a lot of space in my head. Every time I went to my market, when they, and they didn't always have this food, they started selling it. And every time I went to the market, it was, should I get it? Should I not get it? I'll get it next time. I could get it now. I haven't had it. And it was, I hardly ever got the food. But like I said, it was here. And I said to my sponsor, I need to be free from this obsession. And the only way I know to be free from this obsession is to be abstinent from it. Um... I, I love the phrase, if it's not an option, it's not a problem. So my abstinence changed then, and, and it's still, it still is what it is today. I have a food plan. And actually, I wrote up a whole new plan last week in anticipation of my OA birthday that I am um, going to send to my sponsor. Um, so my goal now is to improve my conscious contact with my higher power. And um, the things that I was told when I first came in still work today. It's kind of crazy. You know, go to meetings, get a sponsor, work the steps, read the book, do the tools. I don't do all the tools, but I love that writing tool. Um, Be of service. Uh, I do a lot of service, and, um, and I say that because it works. It just works. If I have a day longer than the newcomers, I have something to offer somebody who's really in hell. I know that hell very, very well. And um, so, I, so I do a lot of service for OA and, um, and have done a lot of service. And, um, you know, that's kind of it. It's kind of simple. Really, you know, just do the deal. And... Uh, and if you're new, there's so many people here who've been around long enough to tell you how they do the deal, you know. Um, and I suspect it's not all that different from what I do. I just think that we all kind of do it, you know. We go by the steps. And even though, not those that are listed there, because that's the 12 steps of Al-Anon, I see. But um, we do it. We have sponsors. We don't have secrets. We do inventories. We uh, make amends. We have. Um, uh, we do prayer and meditation. I do prayer a lot. I do meditation not as much. That continues to be a struggle for me, but I do it. Uh, when I think of it, I do it. I have all these guided meditations on my phone, so that's been really much easier for me. And and that's really it. So. Um, that's my story, I think. Uh, thank you for being here and for listening, and I we have time for questions. Um, so you said you're, uh, you don't eat sugar, so, like, how, like, is DJ, if it's, like, not in, like, the top ingredient, or, like, how does You know what? Um, I heard people say, you know, it has to be, like, the fifth ingredient 
I do not eat sugar if it's a fifth ingredient. Um, maybe if there are, you know, like 90 ingredients and it's the last one, I would eat it. But I don't really want to eat it. Um, it's just too powerful for me. And um, actually, since last May, I have cut artificial sweeteners out of my life. Because, you know, as they say, it's nine times sweeter than sugar. And uh, I started craving it. And I thought, well, there was another thing. So that wasn't easy, but I did that and, you know, kind of free from that. So, so no, I don't eat sugar. I don't eat honey. I, didn't, I never liked honey, so I don't eat it. And now I don't eat agave or equal or any of that fructose. I can tell you that since I've been abstinent, I have not gotten up in the morning with that kind of self-loathing and certainly that humiliation. I'm sorry. She wanted to know if my self-loathing had gone away. Sorry, I was supposed to repeat that. Um, I have a different type of self-loathing today that um, I'm pretty hard on myself and I have standards for myself that unfortunately I don't have for other people or maybe fortunately I don't have for them. And, um, and that's work. That, that is work that I don't uh, attain my, go- my lofty goals and that's a lot of ego work. So I have to do that. Um, how did your family react to your steps? Um, not well Uh, at the time they all lived back east so that was good Um, and when I came home oh they were very happy I lost weight they were very happy I lost weight because my sister was getting married and I was the maid of honor thank you God she lost weight and um, and they liked that and oh this is so funny this is bringing up this whole Thing. But she, she wanted to know what my, what my, how my family responded to this. So my mother, the day after the wedding, I was staying at my mother's, my sister's wedding, and uh, my mother gets a phone call, and I hear her, and we're in a different room, and I hear her, and she says, well, I know she eats three meals a day, and I know that she uh, doesn't eat sugar. And she's like, people are wanting to know the diet as uh, when I was there and then I started saying and I you know go to meetings and whatever but she didn't pass that on to anybody so I made uh, when I made amends to my brother he and I love my brother today I love him he loves me but when I made amends to him he then gave me his list of things I should make amends to him for and that felt pretty crummy. That felt pretty pretty bad. Um, and then, of course, when there's changes and people know what the changes are, it's like, you've changed. I, I don't like you like this. You've changed. And it was great. I, um, I don't think I saw my mother for five years. And, uh, and that was okay. Um, my mother died a couple, uh, about five years ago. And I had... A clean slate with my mother. I was a really good daughter to her, and um, I didn't have any mints to make to her. And um, and she loved me a lot, and I was the daughter that I thought I should be. So, thank you very much.